0: This is Josh Smith, pastor of Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Bogart, Georgia. Our mission at Prince is simple, leading people to trust and follow Jesus. And it's our hope that this sermon would help accomplish that mission. For more information about our church, visit us at pabc.org. Amen. Well, take your Bibles, if you would, this morning and turn with me. To Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, I began the book of Hebrews 11 months ago, last February. I never intended to take this long, I promise you. I had a plan, a really good plan. Like more than I normally plan. Like a document with three columns and it had the date and it had the text. And then it had the theme for the day. I had it all divided up. I had a very good plan and we stuck with it for quite a while actually it wasn't and you don't know this but it wasn't until about the middle of august in which the entire plan was just shot what happened was something i wasn't expecting as i was looking forward to preaching hebrews it's funny i was excited about chapter one and two and nervous about chapter six and excited about chapter 11 and 12 but i really couldn't have given you many thoughts when i began about hebrews 8 but yet what happened in my heart when I came to Hebrews 8 is I began to understand really in a new and a fresh way by God's grace the reality of the new covenant in Jesus Christ. How our relationship with Jesus is an internal relationship. God is not changing us from the outside in. He's changing us from the inside out. It is a spirit-initiated, spirit-led, real active, living, dynamic life with Jesus Christ in which we submit ourselves to Jesus Christ and then hang on for the ride and walk with Jesus. And what I believe that God wanted to begin to invest in our church is God wanted to use that reality to deliver us from any hint of a religious system that was legalistic that was duty driven, uh, that was just moralistic, do better, do better, any of that lifeless religious system. I believe God wanted to deliver us from that and introduce us into this real living life with Jesus. But what I realized is that if I wanted to lead you into that life, I also had to lead that way. Like I had to embrace that life. And it really was a moment for me of just fresh surrender to the Lord. Lord, I I want to follow you. And so I just decided that just week by week, we would just kind of see where the Lord was leading. And last fall was so incredible. Uh, I just, it's amazing to me what God did in our church in the last few months. And I'm so thankful for that. And I say all that to say to you, there's no way I could have planned to be where we are to begin this year. Uh, But by God's grace, we're beginning this year in a place that may be better than any place in Hebrews I can imagine, right at the beginning of Hebrews 12, which is a great place to start the year. This text, in many ways, is a summary of the entire book of Hebrews and a really helpful and fresh call into a life with Jesus this year that hopefully will be the best year with Jesus you've ever had by God's grace. I love these first few verses, and um, we're going to camp out here for a few weeks and kind of get everything we can out of these first three verses. I really believe the first three verses go together. Now, you might notice at the end of chapter, I mean, verse 2, there's a break there and a new title, uh, but I really believe we should take one through three together. There's this common theme of endurance, mentioned in verse 1, 2, and 3, this common theme of looking to Jesus and considering Jesus And so I want us to look at those three verses for a few weeks to begin uh, this new year. If you're there in Hebrews 12, say amen. Amen. If you're there and happy to be there, say a bigger amen. amen. That's better. All right, Hebrews 12, here we are. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Now, if you were to diagram these three verses in attempts to try to understand what is primary, we would find that at the very top of the diagram is three words. There's one command that overrides everything else in this text, and everything else modifies those three words. Everything else is helping us to understand those three words. And the three words at the very top are let us run. That's this text. This text is let us run and everything else shows us how we run and where we run and the way in which we should run all of that is modifying those three words, let us run. And as I said, those really are the three words that summarize the book of Hebrews, You know, I know you remember this, I don't need to remind you of this, but last February, when I started this series of sermons, I told you that if you wanted to understand all of the book of Hebrews, you really could put the words, let us run, and you could take every other verse in Hebrews and find a very easy way to go directly from those verses to that command. That really is the feel of the book. Because the author of the book of Hebrews is writing to a group of people just like I'm looking at today. A group of professing believers. Believers. But they're a group of professing believers under an immense amount of pressure. You see, these were Jews who had chosen the new covenant. They had chosen to give their life to Jesus Christ and they had started well. But because of the religious pressures and the family pressures and the cultural pressures and because of the demonic pressures and the pressures of the flesh, the author was aware that many of them were going to fall away. And by falling away, they were going to show that They really had never made a true profession of faith because the only way we really know if someone knows the Lord is not by how they start, but by how they finish. And so the author, looking at a group like this, not knowing who was going to stay until the end or not, just pleaded with them to hold on to Jesus, to keep running, to hold tight, to not let go. That's the whole book. It's also a great way in which we can just kind of view the entire Christian life. I mean, those three words kind of give us the way in which we should approach life with Jesus. There's kind of some some really healthy, I think, and helpful confrontation in this verse for a new year. As I was pouring over these verses, the question I felt like I was confronted with was this. Am I approaching my life with Jesus this year with that? kind of passion? Am I running into 2022? Now, obviously, after the holidays, it's hard to run almost anywhere. But the reality is, is that as we walk with Jesus, we should be thinking about this walk as an aggressive pursuit. And the sad reality is sometimes we start the year not really thinking about Jesus at all. Some of you might not have put thought into your life with Jesus, but I want to challenge you this morning to say, I want to look at my relationship with Jesus and I want to go all in with Jesus. I want to pursue him with every ounce of my being. I want to follow hard after God this year. I want to go into this new year running. Which is the way in which God wants us to feel our our relationship with Him. We don't want to be casual or passive about this relationship with Jesus. We want to run and we want to run well. And one of the lessons we've learned from Hebrews, particularly chapter 2, is that there is no standing still in life with Jesus. You're either running or you're drifting, no one stands still. So if you're not aggressively pursuing Jesus, you're actually moving in the opposite direction. We don't just go a year with not making progress. We either go forward or go backward. And because if we stop, we drift, we want to make sure that we hold on to Jesus like never before and say, hey, let's, let's run. And so there's a lot of things to be said from these verses. And over the next few weeks, we'll talk about them. But I want to get in this morning, just giving some clarity to the race, to the race, Let us run, and then it says this with endurance, the race, the race that is set before us. So, I want to give some clarity about the race that God has called us to run. So, I want to encourage you to write these things down. The first thing the text wants us to know about the race is this Jesus is the course, (laughs) Jesus is the course. I love that phrase, let us run the race that is set before us, meaning there actually is a course, there is a direction, there is a way that we are to run. We're not getting points for just running aimlessly. The reality is, is that we must follow the course. I have uh, been to a lot of cross-country races. I think it's important for me to be clear here, lest you think I'm trying to communicate something I've not. I've never participated in one. But I've been to many. uh, And I have watched with a refreshing beverage in my hand as my daughter has run very hard in these cross-country races. And one of the things you love about cross-country, well, I don't know, they love about cross-country, is that every course is different. Like, you're not running circles around a track you go to a new place or a new park or a new school and you're running through the woods and sometimes around a pond and it's really an amazing thing. And unless you maybe had been there the year before, you don't know the course. And so what they do is a few different things to help you know the course. The first thing they do, and this is the job I would like, is there's a guy on a bike at the first, right? He's the one that starts it off and everyone is to follow that guy. He knows the course and so he's riding his bike around and showing you the direction to go. Now, if you lose sight of the guy on the bike, well, then there's ropes and there's flags and there's spray paint. And then apart from that, at very significant moments, maybe splits in the path, there are people there who are standing there to make sure that you're going in the right direction. And the reason that's important is this, is because if you just go out there and run randomly for a bunch of minutes, you don't finish. Like you don't get points for just running the same amount of time that everyone runs If you get off the course, you're disqualified. You have to stay on the course. There is a specific course that is set out before you. And I want you to know in this life with Jesus, there is also a very specific course set out before you. I also want you to know that the guy on the bike and the ropes and the flags and the spray paint and all of the people standing around, that's Jesus. Jesus is the guy on the bike. Jesus is the ropes. Jesus is the flag. Because the course itself is the course of following Jesus Christ. This is why in John 14, when Thomas said, Jesus, we don't know the way. How do we know where you're going? Jesus' answer is, I am the way. So Jesus, we don't know where to go. He says, well, I'm the way. So I'm the path. And one of the things I told you as we looked at Hebrews 8 about the new covenant, and I've said this a few times because I think we need to hear this, if we're the person that likes to have everything mapped out and know exactly where we're going and have a really good plan going into the new year, I assure you walking with Jesus will be really frustrating. Because the path is not that well-marked-out path. The path is Jesus. He is the way. He is, in fact, the course that's why in Matthew 7, Jesus says there's a wide gate and a broad path. There's a narrow gate, a small gate, and a, and a narrow path. And Jesus says, I am the narrow way, which means this. There's a ton of ways to get to hell and one way to get to heaven. What is the way? Well, Jesus is the way. And so in Matthew four nineteen, when Jesus says to his disciples, follow me, what he's inviting them into is this. And this is the same thing Jesus is inviting you into. He's saying, I want you to run a race that's set before you. But the only way you're going to know where to go and the only way you're going to stay on the course is if you keep with me. Because I'm the path, I'm the way, I'm the leader. Now this course that Jesus has for us, this race set out before us, is both general and specific. What I mean by that is it's is general in that We're following Jesus. We're looking to Jesus. We're watching Jesus. I read the Sermon on the Mount this week and was reminded about how counterintuitive and countercultural the way of Jesus is. And so we have all of the Gospels, but we also have specifically these sermons of Jesus, like the Sermon on the Mount, that just say to us, listen, if you want to follow Jesus, this is what it looks like. This is the way we live as we seek to follow Jesus and we have the character of Jesus and the heart of Jesus and we look to all of those things in order to know how to generally walk with Jesus and know Jesus and follow Jesus. Our mission here is to lead people to trust and follow Jesus and so what we do is through the preaching of the word and through all of our community groups and everything else we do is just try to point you in the way of Jesus. But... That race set before you is also very specific. Now, that's important to remember because we have a tendency to compare our race with everyone else's race. And if we begin to compare our race with everyone else's race, we're gonna get really frustrated and have a tendency to think our race is worse than everybody else's. We do that. We wonder why our race is not going the direction theirs is. And our race may take a lot of twists and turns, and theirs seems more straight. And we wonder why I'm this rate and why I'm not on that race. the reality is, is that for every one of us, there is a good and loving sovereign God who is setting your course and it doesn't look like anybody else's course. And even though there's some general thoughts about following Jesus, there is a God who has a race set before you this year and he's the only one that knows the direction it's gonna go. And, and I hate to say this, but it's probably not gonna go the way you think it's gonna go. And it's going to have some twists and turns that you didn't expect it. And and some of you may have already realized this just a few days into the year. It doesn't take long for all of our plans and ambitions and some kind of crumpled up like my sermon plan was. Because the way of Jesus is a way specific to you that we follow Jesus, we hold on to Jesus. But listen, God has a course for you and he is asking you to follow him as he leads you in that direction. All of us following Jesus because the only way we get there is through Jesus. But the truth is, is that he himself is the course. The course is not about your plans, it's about him. Every morning you wake up and the invitation is this, hey, let's go, follow me. Where are we going? Follow me, I'll show you. Every day, following Jesus, following Jesus in the race that's set before us. Jesus is the course. I also want us to see from these verses that finishing is the goal. Jesus is the course, and write this down, finishing is the goal. There is that one unifying word there. You see it in verse 1. Let's run, how? With endurance, the race that is set before us. We look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Consider him, verse 3, who endured from sinners such hostility. The truth is that that idea of endurance began in chapter 10. If you'll look back a page, verse 32, chapter 10 says this. Remember the former days or recall the former days when after you were enlightened, that's a word that refers to that moment in which God sovereignly turned the light on in your head and heart and helped you to see the light of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God helped you to see that. It says remember right after that happened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering. Then it says in this in verse 36 of chapter 10, for you have need of endurance. So that you may have done the will of God, you can receive what is promised. Verse 39, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. And from that moment on, listen, nine times in three chapters is this issue of endurance. It's reminding us that what's important is not the way in which we started the race, but the way in which we continue in the race and finish the race when I wanted to know about someone's relationship with Jesus, I used to always ask, tell me when you came to know the Lord. But I don't ask that question anymore. And I don't ask that question because I'm afraid that it continues to reaffirm maybe a false idea that Christianity is just about a past decision you made instead of a present life in which you're living. So I prefer the question, are you following Jesus? It seems to me that communicates better the, the life of jesus that he's calling us into and we're not always doing it well and we're not always doing it at the same pace but the truth is the call in this race is to not just begin but to but to finish that word endurance means a steady determination it means that we're fixing our eyes as we'll talk about in a couple of weeks and we're committed to making sure day after day we're following the one who is the course the one who is leading the way It's interesting, I noticed that that word race there is the word agon in the Greek, which is where we get our word for agony. That sounds incredibly discouraging as we think about the race before us, doesn't it? But what it simply communicates is this, is this is a bit of a difficult and oftentimes grueling race. But the one who is leading us in that way is someone we trust and we trust his heart and we know he's kind and we know he's good. And even though we often don't know exactly the direction in which he's taking us, we believe that the one on the bike at the very beginning of the race is good and right. And the plan he has for us is for our good and his glory. And so we just follow him until the very last breath, until he takes us home, we endure until the end. One of the things I love about Prince and, I really believe one of the healthiest things about our church um, is just the age diversity we have in this church. I love the amount of college students and students that are coming and the young couples that are getting married and joining our church. But one of the reasons I'm so thankful they're here is because they get to get in on a church filled with a lot of senior saints as well. And I'm not going to define when you get into that category of senior saints, but I'm looking at a lot of you this morning and you'll just have to decide if you're in that group or not, but... Listen, what a gift. Because you know what I'm watching? I'm seeing, as as I'm getting to know so many of these senior saints, that even though many of them can barely walk, and they come into a church on a walker, and they can no longer get on their knees and pray, and they can't participate in everything we ask them to do, they're lapping many of us in the race. Like, they're lapping us. (laughs) How great is it to be in a place where you get the opportunity to have relationships with those who are running well and finishing strong and bearing testimony that yes, it's a hard race, but it's good. And it's so good to keep running in your weakest moments, just running. So thankful for that gracious gift here at Prince. And so Jesus is the course, he is the way and we follow him in that path set out before us. Finishing is the goal of the race. And finally, saints are our motivation. As we talked about just a second ago, saints are our motivation in this race. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by this great cloud of of witnesses. Now that's referring to what begins in chapter 10 when it says in verse 38, the righteous live by faith. They don't just make a faith decision. They live by faith. They trust the Lord day by day. You say, well, what does that look like? Well, then chapter 11 gives us all these examples of those who lived by faith. And we spent six, I think six or seven weeks looking at those examples. And we learned from those examples that none of them are perfect. They all have major dysfunction. And they make a lot of dumb mistakes because there's only one hero in the Bible and his name is Jesus Christ. There's no other heroes. All of them are massively dysfunctional. But yet these heroes with all of, I mean, these these figures in the Old Testament with all of their dysfunction and all of their struggles, they just keep walking with the Lord and they fail miserably. And instead of hiding in shame, they get back closer to Jesus and they keep running. And they fail miserably again. Some of them, spectacularly, they fail. And you know what? They get up and they repent and they keep walking with Jesus. And they're not here because they're perfect. And they're not here because everything in their life is worth imitating. They're here because they finished. And they motivate us on our journey. We need these kind of people in our lives saying to us that it's worth it to follow Jesus. Saying to us, here is the way and here is the heart of God. And here's what I learned on my journey. Because the reality is, in all of the Old Testament, there is someone who understands what you're going through. There is someone who has already done that, who has already been there. And there's this great cloud of witnesses. It says we're surrounded by them in verse 1. This great cloud of witnesses. Now what that means is not, I think what I often thought, that there's this gallery in heaven, like this grandstand, where all of these saints are sitting and watching us as we run. Now that's not what's happening. What it means is not that they're looking at us, but that we're looking at them. They're not bearing witness of us, they're bearing witness to us. They're not watching us, we're watching them. And because of their life and their faithfulness and their struggles and their perseverance, we have the opportunity to look back at them and to learn from them in their walk with Jesus Christ. They mentor us and they motivate us in our race because they ran and they endured and they finished and they instruct us in the way. Have you ever found it interesting why God wrote such a big book. I mean, I, I would have maybe rather preferred to have Christianity for dummies, which all of us are and need. I mean, wouldn't you think that this whole thing could have been summarized in, in like 25 pages? Like we get the character of God and maybe creation and then the gospel. And then I don't know what else, just some basic stuff. And we could have just gotten all the facts. Some of you may have already started your Bible reading plan for the year and you're already realizing this is a really big book. It's a really big book that the vast majority of Christians have never read. I don't think I realized that fully in, until I was in college and I went to a large gathering of about 4,000 believers and the preacher said, I want you to stand up if you've read the entire Bible. And I looked around. And there were very few people who stood up. Most people have never read this book, this book, the very word of God. You say, why is it it so long, complicated? Well, the reason is this, is because the Christian life is not formulaic. It's not this, 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 and this. It's not do these six things and we'll be good. God communicates to us through story. What he says is this, he goes, your life is a story and and God wants you to understand how to live your story and he's going to do so through other stories. And here's the thing, it's not efficient, it would be much more efficient if he just said, here's the 10 things to do, do it and be done with it. But what he does is this, he says, I know that you're suffering, why don't you get to know this story and as you take time to engage in someone's story, that story begins to help motivate you in your story. The way we begin to pray for people is understanding their story. We engage in people's story. We listen to people's story. God has given us a book of stories because your life is a story. It is not a formula, it's a complicated life. But I assure you, there are people in this book with stories that are here to motivate and mentor you. We have this great cloud of witnesses that are speaking the truth into our life through story. That little phrase right there at the beginning of chapter one is a reminder that you won't finish alone. Like you don't have a chance of of going until the end, faithful until the end, without the engagement of other people around you. Listen, both dead people and alive people. You, You need all of these people in here, long gone, who are bearing witness to you of what it means to walk with Jesus. And you know what else you need? You need those around this room some young ones, some old ones in order to motivate you in the race that is set before you. We have, by God's grace, an incredible resource of witnesses right here in this room. Someone called me earlier this week, it was on Monday, and they just said, Pastor, I'm so burdened with something. I know we have community groups and D groups I just don't feel like our people are spending enough time together. We need to be living life together. We need eating together. And what I realized as we were talking is, it's almost impossible for me as a pastor to force that to happen. But you can't force those kind of relationships. But let me tell you something. There is someone on your row that is a witness to the goodness and grace of God and can bear witness in your life if you'll maybe just invite them out for a dinner. If you'll have them in your home, if you'll pursue those kind of relationships, something that we can't orchestrate, but something you must pursue because we need these people in our lives. We need witnesses reminding us that it is good and right and possible to walk faithfully with the Lord. A few years ago, in the midst of um, really a a, a difficult moment in my life in which I would say I was headed towards despair. Someone handed me a book by someone I had never heard of a book I'd never read. And they said, this encouraged me. I think you ought to read it. And so I began to read this book and I realized what was happening is this was written by a man who was navigating his own despair and suffering. But he was mentored by two ladies. Their names were Naomi and Ruth. So as I read this book, what I realized is in the midst of intense suffering, this man found the little book of Ruth and he saw in Naomi what it's like to go from despair and to hope. And he found in this person named Ruth what it's like to walk faithfully with the Lord and persevere after years and years of difficulty and disappointment and suffering and to see God restore and redeem your life. So this man had immersed himself in these witnesses and they mentored him. And now this man is mentoring me through his experience. And then I begin to preach the book of Ruth And so now I am being mentored by a man who was mentored by these people who I'm now using to mentor my church. I'd lost it somewhere in there. Was that clear? There's a lot of mentoring going on there. But that's the first time I realized this is how it works. Like what a beautiful gift that God has given us. This incredible resource of people to mentor us in our suffering and then In so doing, we then have the opportunity to mentor others and then they take that mentoring and mentoring others. And what's happening is, it's this great resource of a cloud of witnesses. And years later, that man whom I've never met is still mentoring me through his writing and suffering and being mentored faithfully by Jesus and a host of other witnesses in scripture. The man's name is Paul Miller. He's the man who's coming in a couple of weeks to speak for us. And the reason he is, is because he's been such a mentor to me. I desperately wanted to meet him and he doesn't travel and speak much anymore. So I begged him to come. Scott Moody read the letters that I wrote his assistant and just begged and begged and begged him to come. And finally he agreed. And the reason I want him to come because I wanted all of us to be able to bear witness to what God was doing in his life and be motivated by another witness. What I wanna do this morning is different than what I normally do. I want to share the last few minutes of my preaching time with Paul Miller. I saw a video uh, that he made this, I just saw it this last week and it was such a motivation to me about the cloud of witnesses and fits so well with our text. I wanna ask you for the next few minutes just to turn your attention to the screen and hear how Paul Miller bears witness to the faithfulness of Christ.
1: I was born in San Francisco. My dad was a OPC pastor, and we didn't have much money, but we used to go camping in the redwoods. We were outdoors all the time, and we had a lot of fun. The first time I met Jill, she was at our house, and my sister, Barb, was helping her with math, and Jill got frustrated and threw the math book out the third floor window. I heard a thud not very far from me. And then Jill came down to retrieve her book and that was the first time I met her. We were 17 and 18 when we got engaged and we were married at 18 and 19. And then we started having kids right away. The pivotal turning point in my life was the birth of our fourth child, Kim. Kim has multiple disabilities. She actually has a syndrome called 1P36. It's a pretty significant disability uh, that just affects everything, her not being able to speak. And uh, this was a, you know, in a time when the church was maybe not as sensitive to people with disabilities, and Jill lost friendships be- because it was a kind of suffering that didn't go away. You were just always present with it, and Jill was kind of in one long lament over it. By the time Kim was about nine, we we were just going through a a horrendously hard time. Like our kids were like ages three to 16 at that point. Our income had dropped to about 42,000 and things were just progressively getting harder. that all came to one point we were going to bed and we were heading up the stairs and jill asked me if i loved her i said yes i just thought she wanted reassurance and then she asked me again if i loved her and i said yes and i was sort of like you know what's going on here and by the time we were up at the top of the steps on the landing she asked me a third time do you love me which just made me irritated because I, she was doubting me if I loved her. I just was flabbergasted. So I started giving her this long list of all these ways I loved her. And Jill didn't say anything. Jill was beyond distraught, I would say. I couldn't reach her. And, you know, that made me afraid. I just sensed I was missing something. Or let me put it this way, everything I knew, and I knew a lot, wasn't working. That month, my prayers went through kind of gritting my teeth. God help me to love my wife. To kind of a quieter, God help me to love my wife. To an even quieter, God would you show me what love is. The mission that I worked for gave me a sabbatical, and I wanted to study the life of Jesus to figure out what love is. A couple of other friends of mine had found this place called Peace Hermitage that was about five miles from my house, so I would bike over there every day and burrow into my cabin and just immerse myself in the person of Jesus. There were a number of things that really jumped out, but one of them, and this is so simple, how much Jesus looks at people. It was so pervasive. I knew that it was more than just the physical act of looking. It was a kind of an attentiveness to the other person. And one of my little epiphanies then was, my goodness, I'm more efficient than Jesus. And the reason I'm more efficient than Jesus is I'm not attentive to people because if you're attentive to people, it's gonna slow you down. So it's like one of my many epiphanies was love is not efficient. And I was very efficient. The word that I picked up from counselors that has actually been around in the church for about 400 years is just takes incarnation and makes it into a verb to incarnate. And so I begin to descend into Jill's world to begin to value and pray that I could understand her world. It's just that simplicity of love, of stepping in her shoes. And I know people abuse that where they make love the center and they make love absolute. Uh, I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about the simple activity of lowering yourself and taking the time to listen and draw someone else out. I grew up in a wonderful reformed world that was really good at solutions. And not that solutions aren't bad, but they can miss the person. And that's what I was doing with my wife. I was missing her as a person. What happened during my sabbatical, as I reflected on it, and as I told people about it, it was seeing Jesus that made all the difference. I I saw something I had never seen before, and very specifically, it was seeing the person of Jesus. One of the basic things I learned about Jesus is the pattern of his incarnation. Paul says that's the template for humility, and, and humility is what makes love possible. With our high value of theological integrity and theological purity, which is really good, we can be afraid that somehow we're going to become unclean by incarnating with someone that we disagree with. You can just slow down and take the time to understand them. That began for me with just learning to value my wife. What I love about all this is is it's God's design. I mean, I've seen God do this so many times in other people's lives, but you know, his way of bringing us to himself is to overload your systems. And I had a lot of systems. It was the impact of just being immersed in Jesus and slowing down and being attentive to people. suffering that we have now in our family has been much harder than 28 years ago uh, with, with the recent loss of our daughter Ashley. So Jill's lamenting, but now I listen to her, you know, I care for her in the lamenting as, as opposed to helping her get out of the lament. I'm present with her in them.
0: no idea uh, the race that is set before you this year, and neither do you. I don't know the twists and the turns that it's going to take. I I, I don't know fully the direction the Lord is taking you, but I do know this, is the one who has already charted out the course and is leading the way is good. And there are better things for you in this journey than you could ever imagine, and the course will be better than anything you could have planned yourself. And so my invitation to you this morning, as we kind of begin this new year and begin this journey in Hebrews 12 and prepare ourselves even for this conference in a few weeks is to begin this year. Listen, here's the invitation with just a fresh surrender to the way of Jesus. That's it. Say, Jesus, you're the way. And I don't know what it looks like, but I know you and I trust you. And I want to surrender myself maybe for the first time or for the thousandth time that I'm going to follow you. Every morning, day by day, trusting you. That's the invitation this morning, that we might run faithfully with Jesus. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this sermon. May you trust and follow Jesus more and lead others to do the same. For more information, visit us at pabc.org.